With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football season is all about competition. When it comes to tailgating, that competition isn't limited to the playing field. Start with better meat from Fairway. Hand cut, fresh, and affordable. Fairway gives you the advantage in tailgating excellence. Get ready for kickoff with the best selection of meats and all the fixings from Fairway. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Time to talk about Iowa's game that was and also we'll look ahead to Iowa's next game which for all intents and purposes will begin to basically fill out the narrative for how this season of Iowa football is going to be remembered not saying that it all hinges on Iowa's game in Michigan but talk about Michigan and then Penn State Iowa actually gets into the meat of the season uh, thus far through four games Iowa has the fourth most favorable schedule of any Big Ten team so uh Maybe we take some things with a grain of salt, although they do have a very impressive road win against Iowa State in Ames. That stays on the ledger. Iowa pounded Middle Tennessee State 48-3, to something like that. Heck, I might not even remember how many points they scored in that game. I do know that Iowa had a record amount of yardage in the Kirk Ferentz era. They averaged... Uh, 6.9 yards per rushing attempt, which I think when you consider they had 351 yards rushing, the 351 was the fourth highest raw total of the Ferentz era. I think that 6.9 yards per carry is probably going to be uh, the best of any game where Iowa rushed for 350 or more yards. Very, very impressive offensive output. Iowa has more places they could take the ball this year than they have in, in a long time. Three running backs had 90 or more yards in this game. Steve, what were your general thoughts? I mean, the, the number that stands out to me, John, is the most total yardage of the Kirk Ferentz era. And um, I, I know we, we got to look at the caliber of the competition, but I'll say the same thing about Iowa that I said about Wisconsin in their first two games. Um, you'll recall in our Bigger Ten podcast last week, I, I thought people were underreacting to how good Wisconsin looked the first two weeks. And overreacting to how well they played against Michigan uh, because I just think uh, when you go back and watch the film of that, you'll probably be doing that this week, given the game we're going to be talking about here later in the pod. Uh, you're going to see that that's one of the worst games Michigan's played in the history of its program. So Wisconsin's a really good team. They deserve to be somewhere in the top 10. But this whole last son of Krypton thing that was coming out of last Saturday was overblown, and you saw it this Saturday. Um, so I'll say the same thing about Iowa that I said about Wisconsin's soft early schedule. Against these kinds of teams, if you're really good, this is the way the statistical profile is supposed to look. And I think if you're a, a longtime observer of the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa, you know, this is the second time now where this looked like your classic vintage sleepwalk spot for Iowa. Get out with some kind of 28 to 10 you know, win that makes, you know, everybody that sits there that, that, you know, about the middle of the third quarter and wonder, you know, why did I use my family season tickets for this game? Okay. Um, and, and this is the second time we expected to see that. We, we thought maybe we were going to see that uh, against Rutgers as well. And we did not see that. Uh, instead, uh, you saw Iowa just absolutely pulverize this opposition. So um, I, I, you always have to factor in 
the strength of the schedule when you're doing an analysis of a team in context. But then you have to ask yourself, you know, just like you cut a team more slack, if statistically they're more anemic in areas than you would traditionally, um, you know, ascertain given who the opposition is, you do the same the other way as well. Okay, well, you're going to play some soft early opponents, then I need to see, I can't just see you beating them or beating them soundly. Um, I need to see you dominating them. Right. And, and that's what we have seen with the Hawkeyes so far this season. So it's hard not to be impressed. Yeah, I mean, Nate Stanley's up to eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Really, some of the, the statistics, Steve, you know, and again, I try to measure them um, relative to the, the overall competition that they've played. And I think you talked about some of that uh, as well. I, I think the combination of place kicking and, and punting uh, for Iowa is much better than we thought it was going to be, which, you know, for many teams, it's obviously really important. But for a team that has publicly said almost that offense is just something that they don't want to hurt themselves with and they win via defense, Iowa allowing the second fewest plays per game for their opponent this year. Uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota are also up there, but Iowa's also in the top three in time of possession. It's in, It's an interesting mix because – Iowa has more weapons this year offensively than they've had in recent years. They still very much want to run the ball. Uh, they're within 70 yards of their total rushing yards before sack yardage is taken away and how many passing yards they have of being the same on those two levels. It seems like so far, this is almost how Kirk Ferentz would dream up a season to go, but obviously things get a lot tougher. Indeed. And I, I want to go back to the Iowa State game and, and ask you a question. What trans, because that game, as we, we talked a few weeks ago about what a statistical anomaly that is to, to get to be out YPP, to have a YPP differential of minus three yards, meaning every time the ball was snapped in a game, your opponent gained three yards, whether they had the ball or not. You will be almost no one at home doing that. You certainly won't do it very often on the road. And I think our friends over at Hawkeye Films said, what, no one had done that since, what, 2005 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's crazy to do, okay? So I'm trying to figure out what was different about that game that it, it's such a statistical outlier. Now, Iowa still won the game, but it doesn't line up with their statistical profile at all. So what's different about that game? What can, you, what can you tell us about that? I think that Iowa State's defense is very good. We anticipated that coming into the season, and they did not disappoint. I also think that Iowa State's defense is unique, unique in its front, that 3-3-5 front that they play. It's not something that Iowa sees any other time in the season. They see it once every year, or they've seen it, you know, once a year, the last couple of years. And it's different than the three, four. Iowa State has a war daddy nose guard or nose tackle, whatever you want to call him, uh, in that, in that, in that package in Ray Lima, they play it really, really well. So when Iowa is out in its more obvious run tail sets, Iowa State walks some secondary members up, and it makes it real, real hard to block it up. And Iowa State really cuts to the ball well. Iowa did manage over 100 yards rushing that game, but Iowa hardly gashed Iowa State. Really, 
I think as much as anything to be impressed with was Nate Stanley's performance in that game because when Iowa had its obvious pass tells, Iowa State was dropping and flooding eight defenders back in coverage, which they often do against Big 12 teams. And Stanley was still able to find creases and seams sometimes like that, you know, third and 22 that they overcame to Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, he used his legs a few times, which I had called for earlier in that game. I'm like, if they're going to drop eight, Stanley's got to run. They did that twice on called plays. So I, I just think, Steve, and maybe I'm hoping this is the case, and you can be the um, objective observer to tell me if you think I'm looking at this through black and gold colors glasses. I just think Iowa State's defense is really good, and it's really different. It's funny that's your answer, because I think it's very possible you're going to see some three-three-five this coming week as well. Uh, Michigan has utilized this defense a lot this season. Some of it is intentional. Uh, it was – um, one of the ways that uh, they wanted to adjust to what they saw teams with superior athleticism do them in the final two games of last season, Ohio State with the crossing routes, Florida waiting for Michigan to vacate the box, and then Felipe Franks just, you know, finding the open gap and running for huge yardage up the middle uh, once they had them spread out so thin. So one of the ways that Michigan had to make offseason adjustments to this is to be more multiple in their front and to run more of a stack front uh, for teams that run more of that kind of an offense. Now, this year they've had some injuries. Um, and, and, they, and the biggest weakness on Michigan's defense is the second defensive tackle spot. Uh, Carlo Kemp is, is not Ray Lima, but he's been pretty good on the nose. And I mean, he was terrific against Navy, against Army. And if you can play nose against them, you can play nose against just about anybody uh, with the way they cut block you. The problem is the second defensive tackle. Um, they're struggling to figure out who that is. They've got injuries there. Uh, Michael Dwumfor, who was really good for them last year, uh, this past Saturday was his first start of the season, really. He tried to start against Middle Tennessee after missing the fall camp and didn't last the half. Um, they've got a kid that was supposed to be a big-time recruit. Donovan Jeter hasn't really panned out. Two massive national recruits that are true freshmen that just aren't ready yet, uh, and Chris Hinton and, and Mazzie Smith. So, what that that's the big change that's been made in Michigan's defense is they've had to play this 3-3-5, not always when they've wanted to. And, and the reason why that matters is, is because the, the most talented position on defense in the Michigan program are the edge rushers. Um, and you know, they're, they're four or five deep there with, with, with legitimate, um, you know, uh, elite high quality collegiate level players. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've got, but if you don't, if you can't find a second defensive tackle, you're going to get gashed up the middle, um, you know, by an army or the likes of a Wisconsin or maybe an Iowa, and you go to more of that stack, it means you're going to, you're going to have to take your strongest position group on defense. You've got to take one of them off the field and, and trying to figure out how to manage that has been Michigan's big challenge. And, um, and so I would, I, I would not be surprised if Iowa saw, um, a similar defensive front, albeit with a different scheme uh, against Michigan, meaning Don Brown isn't going to drop eight. Okay? He might do it on fourth and eight, <laughs> all right? But he's not dropping eight. Okay, So um, you're going to see, I think, a similar defensive alignment on Saturday, but it'll be with a different approach. and It'll be maybe more in, in line of trying to figure out a modified way of what Wisconsin has done so successfully in the past uh, than um, what Iowa State does schematically, where they're trying to keep those Big 12 offenses in front of them, make tackles in space, get off the field, and, 
and try to win a game in the upper 20s to low 30s as opposed to outscoring all of these Texas high school programs in the Big 12, you know, with 40-point games every week. We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. You want to wake up and see the clock, tired of contacts or glasses? LASIK Eye Surgery with Wolf Eye Clinic may be the life change you've been looking for. The first to perform LASIK in Iowa, more Iowans trust Wolf Eye Clinic specialists with their eyes. Call 833-532-8809 to schedule a free LASIK consultation with a Wolf Eye Clinic surgeon today. So you are very familiar with both Michigan and Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Who- who do you think plays it better and is one of them better in the trenches at stopping the run than the other is against the pass? What would you say to that? I think, I think right now Iowa State is, a, is, is clearly better at stopping the run. Now, Iowa State doesn't have any players coming off the edge remotely close to three or four guys that Michigan has. But this has been the dilemma for Michigan is um, that with that huge gaping void at that second, second defensive tackle spot where you're just getting gashed there, um, you just take that guy off the field, which is fine. It improves your run defense, and we saw this against Army. You know, Michigan played a very unique defense against Army, and it, usually when you see a Power 5 team beat Army uh, or, or one of the service academies, they'll rack up a lot of tackles for loss because they'll just overman a smaller offensive line. I think Army's left tackle is like 268 pounds or something like that. Um, but what Michigan did was that second defensive tackle spot was getting gashed so, so, much, so much early in the season. They just went to a stacked defense. They stood at the line of scrimmage, played very, very much like an Iowa defense does, uh, which is um, we're not, we're we're not going to let you outgap us. We're not going to get outside of our gaps, and we're going to trust we're bigger, stronger, and faster than you. So when you get to the point of attack, we're going to make you commit to where the ball is going, and then we're going to rally to it with our superior athleticism. And it held Army, I think, to their lowest uh, offensive output in four years, I want to mm-hmm. say, in that game. But this is going to be different, though. Now, this is not going to be, a, 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 you know, Iowa will do bluff runs with Nathan Stanley, you know, making it look like it's a zone read when it's, when, when it's really not. This is, but this is going to be much more of a downhill coming at you scheme. And what I think will be fascinating to see is, to me, I think, I think this game comes down to – Two questions, in my view, um, because I was I, Michigan's defense offensive approach is going to be very similar to Iowa State's as well, all right. And um, and and I think Brock Purdy is a little bit better quarterback right now than Shea Patterson is, but I think the skill level that Michigan has on the perimeter is dramatically better than what Iowa State has. Offensive lines are both okay. Michigan's offensive line talent is a lot better than Iowa State's, but it wasn't recruited to play this scheme. And that's the and that and so what happens is there's so much lateral slanting and horizontal blocking that you have to do to run run block in this scheme. And our guys just were recruited to play power football, and they're just not, they're too slow at the point of attack. And, and too often our running backs ha, are, are hitting contact before they ever get to the line of scrimmage. And I don't know that that's going to be corrected much this season. That, that might require another off season of um, you know adjusting to this this scheme change. Um, so to me, I think this game really comes down to two things. Um, I think if Iowa gets any kind of an early lead, the game's probably over. Uh, if you look at the history under Harbaugh, they don't come back. They're great at punching you in the mouth and then slowly bleeding you dry or, or punking you out. They're a great bully. They have very little resolve. 
And I think this particular team has the least amount of resolve of any I've seen yet uh, in the Harbaugh era. Um, and I think you saw, you'll, you'll see that when you watch the Wisconsin film. You're going you're gonna to see that Wisconsin is a, is a good football team. But after Ben Mason, because I studied this film, so I, I can tell you this. You're going to see that after Ben Mason fumbled that ball on the opening drive, that would have led to maybe a tying touchdown. You're going to see body language from a team in that helmet and in those uniforms you don't typically see. The kind of body language and stuff you typically see when you're playing uh, Indiana kind of a program. Oh, crap. We're not, we thought we could do it, and this time we're not going to do it again. So I think scoring early in this game will be a big key. Um, and then I think the other key is, can, can, can Michael Dwumfor play enough snaps so that Michigan can keep its guys in the, on the edge in the game? Uh, and so that, because there's a misnomer about Don Brown's defense, that they, they, they played this zero, you know, cover zero all of the time. They don't. Uh, they, they rarely send more than five or six guys at the, at, the, at the quarterback. It's just you don't know which five or six guys it is. All right? And, and what you saw Florida do in the bowl game last year is, is put together some very unique offensive sets that made Michigan declare its defensive attentions pre-snap and really simplified the ability to, to dissect us. Uh, Nathan Stanley's a decent runner. He's not the kind of athlete as a Felipe Franks. So I don't think you'll see Iowa do much of that. But I think you'll see, uh, for Michigan, the key is, is this the week Donovan Jeter finally is up for, to the spring hype and all that recruiting promise or Michael Dwumfort can stay healthy so that they can come to balance and play a four-man front. They've got a, a, a redshirt freshman linebacker, 24-7 sports rated in the top, weak side linebacker in the country two years ago, Cam Magrone out of Indianapolis. He is a Devin Bush clone. And um, he, was, he got his first start this past Saturday and might have been the best player on the field on either side of the ball. Even though he only had one tackle, I don't understand watching that. That's where those stats can be misleading. But he's less impactful if you've got to play this stack front all the time. All right? And that's also where we get out of some of our gap controls, too, because now you've got to read and contain as opposed to you know, it's, it's much more simplified if you're going with a four-man front, and that's what we recruited to. So I, I think those are the two big questions in the game. I, I, think, I think Michigan in terms of its um, – it, it, I think Michigan in terms of where it's at mentally is better – is more ready for this game than they were against, um, against Wisconsin two weeks ago. But I also think that they're not ready yet to necessarily play a high efficiency game. I, I, I think this is a game that Iowa either wins outright or Michigan wins by a touchdown or more. So with your familiarity with both Iowa and Michigan, let's, let's play this game. Mm -hmm. you, you throw on the, the Iowa coordinator's hat. You're the Iowa offense with what you think you believe Michigan will throw at Iowa. What's your game plan? What are you trying to do? I mean, Iowa is going to try and be Iowa, but where do you think Iowa has the best chance to exploit Michigan? Well, the, the problem you have if you're Iowa is your, is your receiver group is, is, is the best you've probably ever brought in. It, 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 not probably. It is. This is the best group of outside talent you have brought into a game against a Don Brown defense. The problem you have, though, is he doesn't care. And this is where Don Brown's stubbornness works for and both against him. And so here's what I mean by that. If you come out and hit him with a, if you hit Don with a couple of fades early, 
you, you put a, you put a, you know, a Smith Marset or uh, one of those guys in the slot against some safety and you hit some 30 yard, you know, over the shoulder, you know, pass up the seam. Most defensive coordinators will be like, all right, we got to back off here a little bit. Don's not going to do that. He's going to make you hit like nine of them. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, he's just, he's not going to, he, he will not permit you to dictate terms to him. So that's why when he loses, it tends to be blowouts because it, they don't do a lot of scheme adjustments. <laughs> all right. It's, it's, this is who we are. We think we have better talent than you do. And it's your job to show us that you don't. And if you don't, um, we're going to blitzkrieg you. And if you do, then well, I guess we'll see on the flip side. So there's never going to be a point, for example, where Nate Stanley's going to hit enough of those that, that Michigan's going to line up with a safety in the box, or, or I mean, a, a two deep zone, so Iowa can run against a five or six man box. That's never going to happen. All right. That Michigan just doesn't let you force them out of what they want to do. And so I think if you're Iowa, you've got to make a decision in the game, which is, you know, if you go back to the 2017 Penn State, this is the first time that, there, that Don Brown's defense was really exposed by somebody and was exposed by uh, George, Joe Moorhead and Josh Gaddis, who were running the Penn State offense in that game. Who's now Gaddis is now Michigan's offensive coordinator. And, and he was the first one to really say, how good, how good can these safeties cover in space? We, we know what the corners can do. Those are highly recruited guys. But how good at man cover guys are these safeties? And, and they put their, one of their best outside receivers in the slot to go one-on-one with a safety, and they destroyed us with that. Go back and look at Saquon Barkley's rushing stats in that game. Now, the very first, like his very first carry, he blew up the gap and, and went to the house. But after that, he didn't do much in that game. Trace McSorley just had a monster game that day. And I think that's where if you're Iowa, I, I think Iowa has to get out of its head that it needs to have balance in this game to win. It just, it just needs to be able to score more points than Michigan does is what it needs to be able to do. Because I think if, if Iowa tries to force a certain scheme, you know, this is who we are, we're comfortable playing this way, um, you're not playing a typical Michigan offense. It's not a well-oiled machine yet, but they're more than willing now to throw the ball 40, you know, 35, 40 times um, if they, if they have to. So it's, it's, you're not going to beat them this time, 16 to whatever the hell that odd score was in 2016. You're not going to beat them like that. Um, I, I, so I think you, you have to, I think the number one thing Iowa has to get into its head is, are we okay with Nate Stanley throwing for 300 yards to win this game on Saturday on the road. And I think you have to mentally comport yourself to that going in. Because if you think you're going to get Don to change what he does so you can go back in your comfort zone and run your, you know, um, your inside runs and, you know, your stretch plays, no, no he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that, you know. Now, some, now that really frustrates us as Michigan fans when we're playing a team that athletically is as good or better than us. But it, it really frustrates opponents if you're not as good athletically or better than us because you never get him out of attack mode. So I think that's the first thing Iowa has to make a decision. Are we okay putting this game on Nate, Nate Stanley's shoulders the whole way? Are we okay if we winning this game if we only run for, you know, 100 yards, all right? Or are we okay... You know, if, if, if they don't, if they, if they don't 
shore up their inside, uh, the inside run mistakes they made against Wisconsin, you know, you're okay the other way. And I think you and I both know they'd be okay the other way, right? They'd, yeah. We both know they would be. So, but if Don decides that he wants to take that, that away, is Iowa okay with Nate Stanley throwing against man coverage the rest of the game? I think that's, that's the first hurdle that, that, that Brian Ferentz has to, Brian and Kirk Ferentz have to overcome that first. We'll pause right here for sponsor break. Be back shortly. Floors that fit your life. Just one of the reasons Flooring America is where friends send friends. Now, buy any carpet and get free labor. Every color, every style, and save 10% on Galvanite Floors too. Buy with 36 months special financing. Now, at Flooring America. That is basically stubborn against stubborn. Yeah. And this will need to be the game then that Nate Stanley shows us that he's ready for, for grad school. He's a three-year starter. He is tied or just past Drew Tate for second all-time in Iowa history as far as touchdown passes. He's likely going to pass Chuck Long. He's likely going to have one of the three best statistical profiles of any Iowa quarterback that's ever played at the school. It's just that he has seldom been asked to do what you're saying he may be required to do to win this game against Michigan. And I would imagine that Iowa will do its fair share of running into brick walls. Uh, Hopefully they will run more out of one back shotgun sets, which they have been doing this year more so than any other years, but they do have the weapons. They do have guys they can go to in the slot. And if Michigan's going to play that one-on-one brand, hopefully, hopefully Iowa can make them pay. Now on the other side of things, when you're, the Michigan offensive coordinator and, and Josh Geddes, and sorry to make you live inside that dome right now, as confused as it probably <laughs> is. What, and you're very familiar with Iowa's defensive alignment. What do you see that Michigan could take advantage of that could be problematic for Iowa? I think it's, I think it's a terrible offense defensive matchup for Iowa if Michigan is executing. And it's why I was very confident about this game the entire offseason. But you know, we also haven't seen Michigan off. We've seen Michigan's offensive execution for much of this season. Remind me of the all-time classic line from John McKay, the the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and USC coach, when uh, he was coaching the expansion Buccaneers in the '70s, that they were going 0-14, the first winless team in NFL history. And they asked him after the game, after a particularly pathetic performance. What do you think of your offensive execution? And his classic line, I'm in favor of it, right? <laughs> so Mich- Michigan's offensive execution, now, you know, and if you guys, if your fans want to read what I wrote about this at Wolverine Digest, if you're looking for a, you know, kind of the enemy viewpoint, you know, when you look at this last week's game against Rutgers, it's similar to what we just said about Iowa and, and what, the way Iowa played against its inferior opposition. That box score looked the way it should look if you were as highly rated coming into the year as Michigan did. The problem we're having with that, though, you know, it's not even that Michigan lost to Wisconsin. Michigan goes up to Wisconsin and loses on a last-second field goal or has a rally late, you know, and it falls short on the last drive and they lose. And then they win this game like Rutgers the way that the box score looked. You know, they're back on track. You know, they got a slump buster. They're confident. But we're really still not sure who Michigan is because of how bad that Wisconsin game was. And so it really, it really makes, because we're still, with Iowa, we, 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 we know who they are. We just, we're waiting to see how good they are with who they are. With Michigan, we're, you're still trying to figure out who they are. 
And that makes ascertaining how good they are difficult. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know, now, but this is the kind of offensive scheme that, you know, would give a defense like this um, difficulty. A lot of guys in space, a lot of tackling in space. And, but this time with, with players that are just secure, su- superior level recruits. I mean, Nico, Nico Collins' last two choices were Alabama and Michigan. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones was Rivals' number one overall rated wide receiver in, come in the class of 2017. You know, Tariq Black was a consensus top 50 national recruit. And, and I would argue right now the guy who's playing better than any of them is a, is a, is a no-star recruit from your old neck of the woods who was Kansas City's high school basketball player of the year, and he just loves football better, named Ronnie Bell. Yeah, he might be playing better than any of them. He's almost like Steve Breston, if you remember him. Um, and so, that, yeah, he he was he was the guy that caught that, that, that had the holding penalty that yeah, snapped Iowa's winning streak. And yeah, thank yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> take a drink. Yeah, and 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 um, yes, and Steve Forbes for the flat tax. And yes, yeah, that, that's that, I knew you were going to say that every time his name comes up, you can't fail <laughs> to bring that up. Yes. But you have to uh, at least appreciate the consistency. I do. The dude code admires the level of stubbornness. There. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's, this is a different level of, of, of athleticism on the outside. And, and if, if, if Shea Patterson has time to throw, you're just not going to cover those guys. Right? Michigan's just – their guys out there are better than your guys. But that's been the issue the entire time is does he have time to throw? And, you know, the first game – he got hurt the very first game of the year. They got hurt on the first drive of the year when he fumbled on the first play. He injured his oblique muscle. Um, he was very, he, you know, then he led five straight scoring drives against Middle Tennessee, and then they shut it down after that to give him some rest. Against Army, he was wretched. He made a few nice throws, but he kept handing the ball off. And these, it, it, this, is a, this, is a, this is almost 100% read option offense. They, they call very, and that's from Josh Gaddis' own mouth, they call very few automatic straight runs. Meaning, you know, unless it's situational or running out the clock or something, that every time they snap the ball, there's not an option to do something else with. Um, so um, what, against Army, he just was hurt just handing the ball off. And they just were trying to win that game with, you know, one arm tied behind their back. Against Wisconsin, he was dreadful. And you'll see that when you watch the film. You're going to see receivers open all over the field, like wide open all over the field. And he's got the classic happy feet. Um, you know, he's nervous in there. He's not going through his progressions. He looks uncomfortable. So this week, Michigan made an adjustment. And it's the kind of thing you almost wonder why they didn't do this all year long. Um, because when Josh Gaddis came here, it's a unique situation where he came here to install a new offense, but he didn't bring any staff with him. So this is the old offensive staff. He's just replacing the old offensive coordinator. And so this last Saturday, what Michigan did was they, they essentially said, we're going to start treat, let's treat this like it's the opening game of the year. And we're going to put Josh Gaddis on the sidelines. Because if you go, when you go back and you watch the Wisconsin film, you're going to see Michigan struggling with substitution groupings and personnel packages. Um, you know, none of the rest of these assistant coaches, this isn't their offense, you know? And so the attention to detail simply isn't there, you know? And, and so they brought Gaddis down on, onto the field this last Saturday to, to run the offense at field view so that he could see if they had the wrong personnel groupings and things of that nature in there. And just forget about the statistics. It looked dramatically different having him there. 
uh, and the ability to make on-field adjustments right there, to, to get a hold of Shea Patterson face-to-face -face right there if he locked onto a guy and missed another guy that was open and things of that nature. They simplified the offense for him. And a lot of what you'll see if you watch the Rutgers games, you see a Michigan ran a lot of routes where they essentially kept most of the action on one side of the field so that Shea would, would not feel like, hey, I, you know, I don't have time to go through four reads. You're right, you don't. So we're going to give you two or three reads, and we've got better athletes out there than most of these other teams, and you'll find one of those guys open. And it really worked out. All right, now, that was against Rutgers, you know. So, uh, you know, what does that mean? We'll find out this week. That This week will we'll clarify what a lot of those things mean. But um, in terms of the competency level, it made a massive difference for Michigan having Gaddis on the sidelines to actually run his offense rather than be miles away in a press box relaying things secondhand to a bunch of position coaches that this isn't their offense either. They, they don't know what he wants either. Um, and that was just too many first times. You had a first-time play-calling coordinator, a bunch of first-time position coaches with this offense. They, they should have brought him down to the sidelines from the very beginning. So that, that, but but as, the late, as the great prophet Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? So that sounds great right now. You know, I, think that, I, I don't think that game prepared Michigan physically for what's coming at all, but I definitely think it gave them a mental confidence booster because their confidence level as a program was the lowest it's been since Brady Hope was still clapping after that Wisconsin game. So they needed that badly, but that's also why I think scoring first in this game for both teams will be very important. Because I think if Michigan feels like it has the wind at its back, it just has too good of athletes on the outside for Iowa to defend. You just don't recruit at that level. They're just better. You know, you can't, you can't defend those guys. But if they're back on their heels and it feels like, oh, no, this is just what Wisconsin did to us, another blue-collar team, punch us in the mouth, and we, we can't stand here and take it, all right, um, then I could see this thing going the other way. Does that make sense? It does. And the last thing, and probably – given all that we've talked about. I mean, before the season, I had this as a loss for Iowa. I obviously feel like Iowa has a better chance now than I did before the season based on what I've seen from Michigan thus far. However, I believe at this juncture of the 2019 season, whatever Michigan's best shot, best punch, best effort looks like at this juncture of this season, I think Iowa's going to get it this coming week. I don't know. If that's a if that's a mortal shot, I don't know. I don't I don't know if Iowa's going to be up to to counter that. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know about Iowa yet either. They've looked really good. They've gotten to four and zero in the last two times that's happened in the Kirk Ferentz era. It's been a harbinger of ten plus win seasons. But history doesn't put on a chin strap or helmet, as you know. I like to say. What do you think is? Do you agree with that? That this is a this is a loser leave not not a loser leave town match. Kirk's going nowhere. I was just trying to use a wrestling analogy. But do you do you think that this is a a circle the wagons moment for the Jim Harbaugh era? Well, you know, you know how from being my friend for the last almost twenty years, and me kind of giving you insight into what the Michigan culture is like. You know how much they do care about that history. How much it really does matter, right? And, and, you know, against Wisconsin, that was only the third time in the last 38 years that Michigan has lost a Big Ten opener. Hmm. And, and that's a streak they're really proud of. Even, even in years, you know, Rich Rod won his Big Ten opener 
came back from 19 nothing down and beat Wisconsin. You know, so even in years where they have sucked canal water, they won their Big Ten opener. They really care about that stuff. And especially it's even more heightened now with Jim as the, Jimmy as the coach because he's a part of that legacy and tradition, obviously. Another big tradition at Michigan, you don't ever lose on, home, on homecoming. Bo Schemecker never lost a homecoming. I don't know how many times Michigan has lost homecoming. Rutgers was not homecoming last week, which it should have been because it was the first home game after the first conference road game. But Michigan made it Iowa, and I think that's part of they – they've had this game circled all along because I, I think Michigan has only beaten Iowa once since that overtime win in Iowa City back in 05, if my memory serves. Right? Only one time. That was in 2006 maybe. Well, I'm, fixing, I'm fixing to look at I'm fixing to look it up right now because that's a, a pretty good statistic. I mean, there was one time in the was it Rich Rod? That was the first Denard, Denard Robinson's last year, I think. No, 2012. Denard was hurt. Devin Gardner, that was his first start or second start. He was Big Ten Player of the Week, and he threw all over Iowa in that game. So. That's the second so, one. So, yeah, Michigan won 2012, and then they won in 2006, and they won in 2005. They actually beat – yeah, they beat Iowa in 04, 05, and 06. But since the 06 game, they've played six times, and Iowa has won five of them. Yeah. And I, so I, I think that part of this game and not the Rutgers game being homecoming, where it would traditionally be on the schedule, was part of Michigan highlighting this game. So I agree with your analysis there. What I don't know yet is how good their best shot is right now. That's what I don't know. And, um, you know, the reason I was so confident that they had little chance to win, now I thought they put up a lot more of a fight, and that's what made me so disturbed about the Wisconsin game was that they didn't. But the reason why I thought they had no chance to win, and I think you and I talked about this last week, that's not – that Camp Randall is not a place where you go find yourself. You can go and win there but you just have to be better than them. Meaning that's not the place where you suddenly kind of get hot. You know, like you go there because you're ready to win there. And we weren't, we weren't going to be ready to win there. Wisconsin knows who they are. They weren't going to change for us. And so we were going to have to out execute and we're not there yet. Now this would be a different environment being at home. Michigan have a little bit more of a margin than they would have had, um, you know, playing in that environment up in Camp Randall, but not much more. So but this would be more of an environment where Michigan could kind of suddenly put it all together. But, but my big fear has been there's, there's, there's way too many good players on this team. I, I think I sent you the stat a couple days ago. If you look at the most updated rosters heading into this past Saturday, Clemson had 41 four- and five-star recruits on its roster, and Michigan had 38. There's way too much talent here. But my fear was we would lose two or three games and then get hot at the end when it kind of didn't matter, you know, and – be like eight and four, the be in the conversation for the best eight and four, seven and five team in the country. Well, you know, Lottie freaking dog, who cares? So I, this is a game where um, I, I think Michigan needs to take a bigger step than it was planning on having to take to win from an execution standpoint. And I'll be fascinated to see uh, if they can do it. Um, but if, if I had to guess, Don Brown is going to look at Nate Stanley and say, you have to beat me. And yes, I know you've got a bunch of stats, but the film also shows you are just as inclined to make boneheaded, stupid mistakes in these kinds of environments. So you go out there and put up a 90 QBR on me. I'll, I'll, give, I'll tip my cap, come over, shake your hand after the game and say, hell of a job, young man. But I'm going to make you do that. You're not running for 250 yards on me. You guys will have a Jonathan Taylor kind of a back. 
You're not doing that. And so if you can, if you can beat my four, my four star recruits all over my secondary man to man coverage at tip, you earned it. Have a nice season. You guys are bound for one hell of a year. Be a fun game in Madison. That's what he is going to try to make Michigan do or make Iowa do. Now, the question on the other side of the ball is, can the offense continue for a second week in a row to stay out of its own way to complement the defense? It hasn't been able to do that until last week. Last week, John, was the first time all year they didn't fumble on the opening drive of the game, right? So, I mean, that, 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 that's the key, is, is can the offense stay out of its way enough at, in order to let Don do what he wants to do defensively. Right? So, and we're not going to know the answer to that because I think where Michigan's at mentally right now is a real wild card. We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Check out our monthly specials at Floors Direct on carpet, hardwood, and luxury vinyl to save you even more. Bigger selection than the home centers, expert service, and always better value. Floors Direct. Say yes to paying less. Steve and I will give our predictions on the game on Thursday when we do our weekly um, well, our weekly prediction episode of the podcast. We host that over on the Bigger 10 feed. And right I mean, I, I'm certainly leaning towards Michigan. It's where I was all offseason. It's, it's, it's at Michigan. And I haven't seen Nate Stanley um, step up and – you know, be the primary catalyst to win games. Yes, I know some of you are thinking, well, Johnny had five touchdown passes against Iowa State as a sophomore. He had five touchdown passes uh, against Ohio State, I believe, that same season. Yes, he did. But it's one of those sayings where the Ohio State game, he had a couple of All-American tight ends. And I'm not trying to take things away from him. I like that he's Iowa's quarterback. I don't know that I look across the league – you know, maybe Justin Fields, but Nate Stanley going into this game at Michigan, I, I think this is the game that he's waited for his entire life. The opportunity's right there in front of him. And if he can lead Iowa to a victory, I think, you know, his legend begins, not begins, his legend is almost a little entrenched at that juncture relative to what people think of him. Just got to see it. So we'll talk and that, about and, that. And, and what, can I add one last thing to that too? For, no. for people that are, for people <laughs> For people that are wondering, particularly if you're an Iowa fan, you've kind of either um, fallen in love with your old school way of doing things offensively, you're kind of holding on to tradition, or you're annoyed by it, you know, and it probably depends on what the result is every Saturday and how you feel about that. If you're, if, if you're, but we were in that club with you. Here's why Michigan made this move. Michigan made this move so that it didn't have to change its defensive philosophy. It likes its defensive philosophy. It, it likes the, and, and, you know, not, Michigan doesn't lose that game to somebody it should never lose to like it did so many years when we were growing up. Even Bo would do that, all right? Because like Iowa, Michigan like to play everything in a phone booth. And if you've caught them on a day that their offense wasn't clicking, you might be able to beat them 17-14 in some kind of an upset. So Michigan wanted to get – Harbaugh wanted to get out of that rut. So the problem Michigan has now, though, is when we go up against teams that recruit as good or better than us, and they're going to beat man coverage more times than not if we give them enough opportunities. So can we create an offense that gives us the ability, if we've got to win a game, 41 to 38, can we create an offense that does that? That's why this offensive adjustment was made. And so, that, so that's, let's say Stanley is up to the task. And the question becomes, can the Michigan offense execute well enough um, in order to finally 
prove that the theory that led into the changes they made this season was warranted. That, that could be an interesting subplot to this game. All right. We'll talk more about it on Thursday. For Steve, I'm John. We will talk to you then.